Welcome to the Calvary Church Podcast. We're glad that you are here and that you can be a part of a recent service at TCC. So let's join the service, which is already underway, and listen to the message. Dad always called the holidays the great magnifier. The good is better. Euphoria abounds. But then it doesn't take much for the pendulum to swing hard the other way. And something is broken. And as my mother once said, Christmas is canceled. (laughs) Because expectations are not met. But I have something to share with you today. I'm going to read a quote from a book first. Before a computer became an inanimate object, and before Sputnik changed the course of history, before the Supreme Court case Brown versus Board of Education established that separate was in fact not equal, and before the poetry of Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech rang out over the steps of the Lincoln Memorial, a group of black women working at the Langley Memorial Aeronautical Laboratory in Hampton, Virginia, were helping America dominate aeronautics, space research, and computer technology, carving out a place for themselves as female mathematicians who were also black. Black mathematicians who were also female. Hidden figures is their story. This quote comes from the book, Hidden Figures, which became a movie in 2016. It tells the compelling, inspiring story of Katherine Johnson, Dorothy Vaughn, and Mary Jackson and their important contributions to making John Glenn's first orbit safe and successful. Katherine Johnson specifically calculated the trajectories for the Apollo 11 and space shuttle missions. She was very smart. And in 2015, she was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom. The following year, NASA dedicated the Langley Research Center, Katherine G. Johnson Computational Building, in her honor. She was for sure a hidden figure, but she played an important part in our history. And so today I want to present to you a woman in scripture that also had an important, though obscure role in the Christmas story. And with the help of the Lord, I want to speak to you today on this thought, a hidden Christmas figure. I'm going to look right now to Luke chapter 2, and if you would um, follow along with me. We're going to read this story together. Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 38. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him, meaning Jesus, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. Of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. 
And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, Simeon took Jesus up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess named Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. And then as a widow until she was 84, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. And so today our text comes precisely 40 days after Jesus' birth. According to the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary arrive at the temple to make a sacrifice. And this is a scene repeated over and over again in Jewish culture. A sacrifice of a lamb, or if a family couldn't afford a lamb, it would be two pigeons or two doves. And those uh, items were to be brought to the temple 40 days after the birth of a son, according to Leviticus chapter 12. Now, Tom and I would have never taken part in a ritual like this, for we have no son. But one of the things that makes the Bible alive and exciting is to try to place ourselves within the events and imagine what it must have been like for the people involved. And so here we have two young, brand new parents, two newlyweds, Mary and Joseph. They have come to the most sacred place, the holy place of the temple, to offer a sacrifice to give thanks to God for the birth of their first son. And they are doing this together as a family, a newly formed family of three. For us, we could compare it to dedication day. And there's a lot of pressure getting ready on that particular Sunday morning. It's a special time in the life of a family. There are high expectations of family and dress and pictures. And nervously, we try to get everyone to church on time that day, which is a Herculean task with a new baby in tow, let alone a baby dressed in an outfit that you hope makes it through the entire proceedings. And we intercede under our breath all morning. Oh, God, please don't let them scream at the minister. Please don't let them fill their diaper at that sacred moment, (laughs) which my holy father did, according to family legend. And a urchin lifted him up, and he filled his diaper right there at Calvary Tabernacle. (laughs) 
So there's something you probably didn't know about (laughs) Bishop Dad. (laughs) But I remember our first baby dedication as parents. We were in Groveport, Ohio, serving Turn Point Church, and um, Elder Paul H. Cook and Paul Michael Cook were our pastors. That's Elder Cook right there, and that's my baby, Emma. Her sweet little head. And I remember how nervous I was. I took a hundred pictures before we even got to the church. And then when I had to hand her to Elder Cook, I, I loved him. I respected him so much. I wanted him to hold Emma, but he was older and I wasn't sure what was going to happen. So I don't know if I'm praying for Emma in that picture or if I'm just interceding <laughs> that we can get through these proceedings and everybody be okay, but... You know, the issue of preserving pictures is something I've just thought about a lot this holiday season. You know, you work so hard for these pivotal moments in life, you know, whether it's your graduation or your children have something significant going on in your lives. And moms, we work so hard to make everything wonderful for everyone, to make everyone look nice. We take care of ourselves last, you know, it's that important. And then the moment comes and no one will cooperate for a picture. I don't understand this. I don't know how many Christmases on Christmas Day I have told my girls, what I want for Christmas is a good picture. This is your gift to me right now. That you will smile and look at the camera at the same time. Because it appears to be impossible if you look through our family photos. I don't know. But anyway, I digress. What I was saying was that this is an important day for a family. It's an important day in the life of young Jesus. And so here we are in Jerusalem at the temple. Mary and Joseph are being obedient parents. They're following the law to the letter. That's why they're there. Jesus would follow their example He would follow the law to the letter even up until his death on the cross. And we can assume that the location of these events that we read about in Luke chapter 2 take place in the women's court of the temple. There were places where only certain groups of people could go. The first place was the Gentile court, which meant anybody could be there. The second stop was the women's court. For obvious reasons beyond that... The crowd got smaller and more selective. And so it's here in the women's court that a man named Simeon is introduced to this family. And Luke describes Simeon as a devout man, one who was anticipating the arrival of the Messiah. Maybe he'd heard rumors of the birth of John the Baptist. Maybe he had heard about the shepherds who had followed a star. But all we really know is that Simeon was anticipating He was looking for the Messiah. He was believing God's word at this time. And the writer Luke lets us know that it is by the Holy Spirit that Simeon walks into the temple that day and meets Mary and Joseph. And so Simeon blesses the child Jesus. He holds him, kind of like we do in that act of dedication. And he speaks of Jesus in such a way that dumbfounds Mary and Joseph. Can you imagine how they felt as a new mom and a new dad hearing about what his life was going to accomplish they were just learning how to take care of him 
and the weightiness of who he was was being presented to them that day. I can't help but wonder what Mary must have thought those words meant. A sword will pierce your heart too. And it is at this moment that a remarkable character in Scripture is described for all of three verses, a prophetess named Anna. I love characters in the Bible like Anna. Although she's only mentioned in a few verses, her contribution to God's story is so important. It's so significant that Dr. Luke felt like he needed to include her in these events. Anna wasn't given a lot of on-screen time, but there is much for us to learn about her and from her life. And so this is what we know about Anna. Number one, she was a widow. The Bible is specific to let us know that she was only married for seven years before her husband passed away. And this is significant because she had been a widow for a very long time. Number two, Anna was advanced in years. We know this based on what the Bible said, that she's somewhere between her 80s. Some scholars believe she might have been in her early 100s at the time of this event. And number three, we know that Anna was a prophetess. Now, this is in itself enough to make her fascinating because we're coming to the close of the 400 years of silence. So a word from God was very rare in that time, let alone a word from God through a woman. And so Luke records the name of her father, Phanuel, and that she was from the tribe of Asher. Now, Asher was one of the northern tribes that was lost during Israel's exile. And Anna apparently kept record of her lineage, her family tree. And even though Israel lost track of the tribe of Asher, God had not lost track of this tribe of families. And so here we find Jesus being brought to the temple for the first time, a man named Simeon, whom God has promised, you're going to see the Messiah before you die. He holds Jesus in his arms. He blesses him. He explains to his parents all that his life is going to accomplish. And it is at this hour, Luke tells us, this elderly prophetess walks up to this scene and begins to praise God and prophesy to everyone around who Jesus is. What a scene. How strange that must have seemed to people walking by that little group of people in the women's court that day. But today I believe that all of us can relate to Anna in some way. And so today I want to offer you Five things to consider from Anna's example in Luke chapter 2. Number one, Anna was a nobody in that time and place, but she was somebody to God. We know Anna was from the lost tribe of Asher. She was an elderly widow from a long lost tribe. The term prophetess heads her description according to the scripture. And because of this, she outranks Simeon. A man praised as righteous and devout, but he is not described as a prophet. Simeon may have been a priest. He was the one holding Jesus. But Anna is the New Testament's only named female prophetess. Dr. Luke gives her father's name, Phanuel, but not her husband's name. He also mentions her family, 
the lost tribe of Asher. And as such, she is one of the few New Testament characters that has her tribe associated with her identity. And this is pretty amazing because she finds that she has this in common with Jesus Christ, who was of the lineage of David and of the tribe of Judah. You see, you and I assume that things outside of our control such as the family or the circumstances that we're born into, limit us or limit God's ability to work in our lives. But Psalms 139 verses 7 through 12 tell us this, Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea... Even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day for darkness is as light with you. Verse 16 of this same chapter goes on to say that our lives were written in God's book before we were born because God cares about the details of our lives. He cares about who we are and where we come from. Just like it was with this precious saint, Anna, who was a no one from nowhere. Probably very few people were aware of her existence, but God did. God saw her that day. God's plan is not influenced by who we are. It's not changed or inhibited in any way, shape, or form. It's not influenced by where we come from or what has happened to us. The darkness in our lives does not impair his ability to see us. Our darkness cannot dim his everlasting light. Amen, amen. Hallelujah. The second thing I believe we can learn from Anna is that she was limited by her life circumstances, but she was not limited in the eyes of God. Because Anna was a widow, we might assume that part of the reason for her strong commitment to the temple was that she had nowhere else to go. As a woman, she was viewed less as less in that ancient society, and being a widow put her further still on the social ladder. Not only is she a widow... She's a prophetess. I think it's safe to say that there weren't too many people in close proximity to her that she felt like she had a lot in common with. In many circles, she probably felt like an outsider. She wasn't married. She had no children. She had no great family name or notable associations. And through no fault of her own, she was unusual. There wasn't a life group that shared both her life stage and her interests. Anna was her own breed. And yet God not only saw her, he called her. He took her devotion to him and gifted her to be used to declare the word of the Lord to other people. And the Bible is full of examples of people who did not feel up to the task. The Bible is made up of angels who were not worthy and were not qualified to do what God had asked them to do. But this fact is at the heart of the Christmas story. 
the events of Jesus coming to earth include all ages and all demographics. The power of the heavenly hosts compelling message to lowly shepherds crossed every barrier of the day in which it took place. Peace on earth, goodwill to men. The first ones to hear of Jesus' arrival were among the most common, most humble people of that time. My amazing niece, Emery Paisley, was devastated by the fact that this year in the Christmas play, she was cast as a shepherd. She told my sister, Kedron, I'm a stinky shepherd. Was so disappointed. The Christmas story is not just for the young. And it's not just a story that includes the young, like a baby and a teenage mom. It's not a story that just includes the elite members of society or the religious world, like the wise men. It includes common workers like the shepherds. It includes ordinary people like Mary and Joseph. It includes the elderly like Simeon and Anna. It includes the barren like Elizabeth. It includes a heathen king like Herod and believers with doubts and questions like Zechariah. God did not randomly pick these people to be involved in his arrival. God was making a statement to mankind through every player in the Christmas story that Jesus came for everyone. Jesus said the Son of Man has come to seek and to save those who are lost. Jesus' birth was the beginning of the breaking down of any barriers between humanity and a holy God. That's the power of the gospel today. That power still works in our lives today. The next thing we can learn from Anna is that Anna's response to tragedy was a life of devotion to the things of God. Anna lived in the temple and committed her life to prayer and to fasting. The Bible is specific to let us know that is how she spent her days. This precious, powerful woman served God with total commitment. Some scholars believe she actually might have lived in an almshouse there on the temple ground that would have been maintained by charity. Some believe that maybe she just lived close to where the temple was by design so that she could be readily available to help in any way that she could serve. But whatever the case was, it doesn't change the fact that the Bible wants us to know that Anna's life was completely devoted to the work of God in spite of her tragic circumstances. Anna lived in close proximity to temple life into temple service, and she made herself available to God in whatever way she could. Today, you may be here with a sense of foreboding about the future and the challenges that you might face, but Jesus came so that you do not have to live in fear and you do not have to live in dread. Your reality does not limit God's ability to work in your life. He is still able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. We must commit like never before so that God can work in us and through us like never before. How telling that initial response that Anna had to seeing Jesus face to face that day. The Bible says that first 
she gave thanks. If Anna had become bitter and hardened by the way her life had turned out, she would not have seen Jesus for who he was that day. Her heart of gratitude, I believe, increased her sensitivity and it fueled her desire to share that revelation with other people. Before Paul's words in 1 Thessalonians 5.18 were written, Anna had learned to give thanks in everything. Anna was able to recognize the Messiah in spite of her reality. It could be argued that it was actually her life experience that enabled her to recognize Jesus in the arms of his mom that day. See, it's part of human nature to view ourselves through the lens of our circumstances. To only see ourselves as we are or what we have been in light of what we know we'll never become. But Anna was a remarkable woman. As a widow, she knew what it meant to experience loss, to experience pain, and to be very disappointed. But that had not made her hard-hearted. That had not given her a bitter spirit. As an elderly woman limited in a society that did not place value on her, she had not lost hope. Surely this was due in part to the fact that she was a woman of worship. And she was a person of prayer. And so let me state the obvious to you this morning. Jesus was an infant when she laid eyes on him. It's not until after Jesus' baptism that his identity is truly revealed to the people around him. And yet, Anna looks at this baby and begins to give thanks to God and tell everyone, this is him. This is the Messiah. And it was her life of consecration that put her in that position that day. God desires to use your circumstances to remake you. He wants to elevate your point of view today to him. That old song that says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. That's what he wants you to do today. Only he can take the bleakness of our reality and use it to elevate us to him. Isaiah experienced this and described it in the sixth chapter, verse 1. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. It was in this time of devastation that Isaiah saw the king of kings. God allowed Isaiah to see him in a place of prominence in his shattered world. Uzziah was dead. Isaiah's heart was crushed. Hope was gone. But it was then Isaiah would say, I saw the Lord. Our reality does not limit God, his ability to reach us, his ability to see us and to help us and to change us and to transform us. And finally, Anna was quick to tell others who Jesus was. Anna and her response is described very differently from that of Simeon. While Simeon spoke to Mary and Joseph specifically of the greater context of the child to the Gentiles and to Israel, Anna evangelizes immediately. 
to those looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. She and Simeon join others, such as Elizabeth and John, Zechariah and the shepherds in Luke's gospel, and recognizing his great significance. Anna's close walk with God was shown by her love for Jesus and her desire to tell others about Jesus. Anna responds to this incredible revelation of who Jesus was by sharing it with other people immediately. Jesus sees you today. He can get to you wherever you are, no matter where you come from, no matter how dark your world seems. He's not just mindful of us this morning. He's not just wanting some kind of commitment from your life, but he wants to be with you. That's why Jesus was also to be called Emmanuel, God with us. God is among us. God wants to be a part of us. And so today, if you have not yet experienced the new birth, you can. You can by repenting of your sins. If you feel sorrow in your heart about what you have done or what your life has been, today is a day where all of that can change because Jesus wants to be with you. You can be filled with the Holy Ghost by evidence speaking in other tongues. God gives you the ability to speak in a language that you were not taught as a child or in your lifetime. His Spirit wants to dwell with you. And finally, you can be buried in the name of Jesus through water baptism because that is the power of the gospel. Jesus came. So that we could have that opportunity to die to our old selves, our sinful natures, the person we used to be. Jesus came as a baby, totally dependent on young parents and lived a life on this cruel earth so that you and I could be with him forever someday. And that's something everyone deserves to know. Because Jesus came to save everyone and it is our responsibility in 2019 to share the good news of Jesus. That as God reveals himself to you through his word and through situations in your life, it is not so that you hold on to it for yourself. But like Anna, could you walk around and say, this is who Jesus is. This is what Jesus has done in my life. Her disappointment could have silenced her made her bitter, made her a hermit, unwilling to socialize, unwilling to be a part of what was going on. And yet, the opposite is what Anna did. She took that pain and she said, I don't know what else to do. I don't know where else to go. And so I'm going to give my life to the Lord. Your circumstances may not be the same as Anna, but you identify with her story in some way. You've experienced some kind of loss. You've been disappointed in some events in your life. Maybe you feel like an outcast. Maybe you struggle to fit in even within the Calvary Church. You feel like I'm different. I have a hard time finding my way around. I don't know what to do. But Anna gives us a clear example. She takes away all excuses to say it doesn't matter because Jesus sees you. Jesus can reach you 
Jesus can help you. Jesus can transform you. This woman, no family, no one to take care of her, no one to look out for her. She lived her life in the temple. She made herself available, and yet for all of her willingness, there was only so much she could do in the temple because she was a woman. I have a picture of the temple for you to look at. And I want you to see this and understand what I feel is the most powerful part of Anna's story. Is that in the temple there were all of those barriers, if you will. All these gates you had to pass through in order to get to the next place. And really only one person could get into the holy place. That incredible presence that we feel in this room. Only one person could get to that place in the presence of God at this time. And Anna could get nowhere near that center building that housed the mercy seat, that housed the very presence of God. But she was there. She went as far as she could go. And so Jesus said, you know what? I know you can't come into my presence yet. And so I am going to come to you. Jesus has an infant helpless in his mother's arms, gave this woman, this devoted person, the opportunity to see him and to touch him and to look at him and to realize she would never be allowed into the holy place. She would never be able to go to the mercy seat. She would never be able to ask for forgiveness on her own. But she got to see the face of the one who would tear that veil from the top to the bottom. She got to see him. She got to feel his presence and say, this is him. This is the hope of Israel. Stand with me today. All of us feel held back in some way in our life experience. Maybe we feel held back by expectations or the fact that no one expects anything of us. Maybe we have difficulties in our lives that aren't even our fault, but they mark us. They label us. They make our lives more complicated. Decisions other people have made, and they influence us. They make our lives difficult. Maybe today you're thinking about some family dynamics that you were reminded of recently. Some things that you feel like will never change. Some hurts from the past, or maybe some things that family has said about you that still hurts. You know in theory it's not true, but it's still affecting you. It's still limiting you and your ability to believe that God loves you and values you in the way that his word says that he does. I don't know today what's daunting about 2019 for you. I know there are certain dates that are daunting for me. There are experiences that I'm going to have to have that I don't want to have. 
I'm not looking forward to them. Some days I feel afraid. Whatever it is that overwhelms you about 2019, Jesus is already there. That if the baby Jesus could find a prophetess in the women's court of the temple who was so limited in every way, then surely Jesus can come to you and I in this place in spite of how you feel, in spite of what you think about yourself, in spite of what others think about you. Nothing can separate you from the love and care of Jesus Christ today. And so in 2019, will you share that love of Jesus with other people? That understanding that you have about who he is, not just from a Bible text, but as an individual, who he's proven himself to be for you. Will you release your faith to God to do something for him that you never were willing to do before? Will you commit your life in spite of hardships that are present right now, in spite of what might come that's difficult in 2019? Will you respond to those things like Anna did and say, it doesn't matter, I'll just give myself more to the Lord. I'll devote myself more to prayer and to fasting because I want God to work in my life in an unprecedented way. And so I'm going to give of myself to him no matter the circumstance. Would you just raise your hands right now? I feel the Lord responding to the hunger of hearts. Jesus, we need you today. I thank you for Anna. I thank you for her story and her example. Your word is so specific to let us know that her life was hard, that nobody really saw her or valued her. She was limited even in the context of her faith, God. She couldn't even get to your presence for herself, and yet she was faithful, and yet she reached for you, and you honored her. You saw that faithfulness. You saw that hunger, and you came to her as a baby in the temple that day. And so, God, if you can do that, surely... Surely as I face a new year with uncertainty, God, you can find me. You can reach for us, Lord. We can reach for you. For there is no boundary. There is no veil to keep us from your holy presence. It's what we feel right now in this room. And so, God, as we reach for you, Lord, would you reach back to us? Would you assure us that you see us? You know about these awful circumstances. You know the details that we obsess over and worry over, and you want to help us. I'm inviting everyone to come today. I believe God is reaching for all of us in very specific ways. Would you come to this altar? Would you just recommit your life to the Lord? Would you maybe open up about some pain that you're experiencing in your life that maybe you haven't wanted to acknowledge up to this point, but I feel God's pull to you today. Would you just share it with him? Would you open up your heart to him and worship in a commitment? Oh God, I need you today. I need you to see me. I need you to be with me today. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. 
consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.